This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your ethnically ambiguous host, Tavi, from Southie, or from the town, or I don't know, somewhere in Boston. All right. Baston. Uh, oh, no, please. It, let's not do this. I don't know. All right. Shut up first. <laughs> Let first us not do this, please. Shut up. No, we're going to do this. <laughs> no, please. On the count uh, of three, we're going to do our best Boston accent. I am 100% not going to do that because what? I don't know what the bo- like. I know what the Boston accent sounds like, but like my brain doesn't even comprehend like like it doesn't even know how I would try to make that sound. Angel, you got my cockies. <laughs> it's so dumb. The only way the only reason I know the Boston accent is from this movie, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. And anytime that people make fun of Patriots fans, that's literally the only things I know about Boston. Well, my boss at my last job, um, he he was born and raised in Boston, and he like, but he's like lived like the last twenty years of his life in Florida, Mm -hmm. so he has like a mild Boston accent at this point. (laughs) He was wicked smart. Yeah, so I know what it sounds like, and it's normal (laughs) to me, but I couldn't. I'm not even going to pretend to say it. All right, anyway, it's not the British one that I like. That I no. severely offended with my other accent. No, my British manager was somebody completely else who, you know, whatever, you've already, <laughs> it's already out in the world. And, and I never got fired for that. So whatever. Not yet, anyway. There's I don't work so for him anymore. I don't even work at the same company anymore. I hope he hires you just to fire you because <laughs> he heard that. You probably would do something like that. All right. All right. Anyway. Today, we are talking about The Town. So, quick question. Is this your first time watching this movie? No, this is my second time watching this movie. All right, so what's your experience with this movie, bitch? Uh, The first time I saw this movie was in 2010 when it came out. And one of the reasons why this movie was kind of a big deal, or why like I've heard people talk about it so much, is because this is kind of like that moment in time when... Jeremy Renner was like he had just finished like I think it was in the Hurt Locker that he was in and like people were talking about him as like being one of those guys like to look out for like oh this guy was really good in Hurt Locker and oh man he's like the breakout character in the town and uh, you know it's like so I watched it because of that and also you know Ben Affleck was in it uh, didn't really care too much for that uh, I did see the trailers for this, and it looked, even when I watched the movie, and even when I watch it now this time, it very much feels like a post-Dark Knight movie. <laughs> like, I didn't oh, realize how much Dark Knight had kind of influenced movies that were coming after it. Uh, I'm not joking. I, I, I Between this and even, well, obviously Inception, because it's directed by the same director, but something like this, like, so- it, it really does feel like 
I feel like Dark Knight brought this where people were like, oh, let's just go ahead and do Michael Mann's Heat again. Like, I feel like several movies decided to go back to it because Dark Knight brought it back into the zeitgeist. I tried really, I'm trying really hard. Oh, you know, as as the seasons have gone on and as we've gotten long in the tooth, I try really hard not to shit on your takes. But I hate when you relate everything to the Dark Knight so okay. much. But this is very clearly a post-Dark Knight movie. Where? And the what fact part of it is a Dark Knight movie? Listen to the music that plays during the high scenes in this movie. Look at how the blue hue of everything is like is done and like the extreme close-up on the characters' faces when they're sitting in cars and stuff like that. I'm not crazy. No, like you said, that is more Michael Mann than it is Dark Knight, though. That's not like. But like what I'm reason- saying is that Dark Knight brought that. It, it, it kind of brought back that style again, and then a bunch of other people decided to mimic it. Not necessarily mimic Dark Knight, but people just basically said, "All right, well, let's go back and try to copy Heat." It's and it just feels so- like. It feels like several movies tried to come and become like Heat clones. It's just so reductionist, though, to just be like. Everything I'm not go- saying this is a bad movie. I'm no, just I'm not. I'm not. Very much <laughs> I'm not post- arguing. I'm not arguing with whether you think it's a bad movie or not. I just hate the take. I just hate it. And I, nothing personal against you. It's just I also hate reductionist takes when people are just like, "Oh, well, this is just another version of that." It's I like, didn't say just. I, d- I did not oh, say but, just. But you're just like everything goes back to the darkness. Yeah, but that's not be- that's not to say that this is like shittier Dark Knight. It's just like you know the, the thoughts I had of this was, hey, you know maybe if Ben Affleck didn't, if DC didn't suck so much, maybe this is what Ben Affleck. Maybe Ben Affleck's Gotham City, if he ended up doing his Batman movie, is Boston. <laughs> God, that's like the worst version of Gotham. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's just uh, fucking Oxycontin everywhere. Uh, oh my God. But then at certain times, Jeremy Renner's character felt like a super villain. So, you know, hey. These guys have such monster energy drink energy to them. And I think it's just one of those things about the time being 2010 and also the area they're in. You know, and it's not even just like, okay, I'll get off the Dark Knight stuff of it. The other thing that's really reminded me of while watching it, and I think there's just no way it doesn't, uh, because it won the, the Oscar for Best Picture in 07, was Martin Scorsese's The Departed. And I think it's because... It's funny, Ben Affleck, like none of these guys were in The Departed, mm-hmm. but you know, Ben Affleck is best buddies with Matt Damon and, you know, Jeremy Renner replaced Matt Damon in the Bourne movies eventually. It feels like well, it's just, it feels replaced- like these guys have all kind of hovered around each other for a long time. He replaced and the funny thing for- too about Jeremy Renner is that Jeremy Renner is from Northern California. Like, he's yeah. not from Boston. <laughs> no, he's a chameleon. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting to see him uh, play this character. I, you I, need think, a... I think watching him and, like, John Hamm and Blake Lively, like, try to force these Boston accents is a little gross. <laughs> well, I don't think John Hamm was supposed to be from Boston. I think he's just generic FBI guy who's always going to sound like Don Draper. Like, he just can't <laughs> turn it off. 
you know who I thought he was? I swear, I thought he was like doing a version of like Alec Baldwin's character from Departed. That I think that's what this movie reminds me more of, or this movie has falls more in line with is the departed. I mean, you can tell me this movie takes place in the same like universe as the departed. And I'm like, no, that makes sense. Like <laughs> you can tell me that uh Ben Affleck owed Jack Nicholson money and that was the guy that he would have killed eventually. But yeah, like it's yeah, it's got some interesting stuff going on. Well, it's also movie. this interesting like oh. white gang like you know kind of stuff it's just mm-hmm. so like not something i regularly watch <laughs> <laughs> it borders too close to a white supremacist gang for your liking <laughs> no it's not it's not even just that i just think it's really interesting to watch something like this like you know because of the fact that i live in california it, like if i watch movies that take place in la even though I've never lived in LA, it feels more, some of those neighborhoods in those movies feel a lot more familiar than this neighborhood in this movie does. And I think it's, it's almost like the same thing is like, not the same thing, but it's similar to watching like a New York like gang movie, right? Like it is just, it's a, it's a genre that's familiar, but it's in a location that outside of film, I just don't know. And it's interesting how you see, like, the difference in architecture Mm -hmm. just from, like, East Coast to West Coast. Because, like you said, here in California, we're used to, like, wide open streets, wide open areas, and more builds out. As opposed to the East Coast, where you have 200-year-old cities, Mm -hmm. 300-year-old cities, as opposed to, like, San Francisco or Oakland, which I think was found in, like... 1850 1849 you know like who are relatively younger than the rest of the u.s it's just like a bunch of like brick buildings like it's it's like they had to build up you know yeah it's like it's this like distinct east coast architecture because even like the one and only time that i've been so far to like dc and like seen you know like alexandria like there was certain areas in alexandria that like I saw that had these like brick buildings, you know, and it's just, it is different. It is a different like aesthetic and uh, Hey, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting to see it. And uh, it, it, it is interesting for us to go to somewhere that we haven't been before. Now, heist movies, if we're comparing this to the movie we did last week, this is more heat than it is oceans 11. And what I mean for that is what's, makes Ocean's Eleven kind of like this this quintessential heist movie is the entire movie revolves around one heist. Whereas this more like heat revolves around a group of criminals and like finding out a little bit of what their lives are like. And like around it they are taking scores and doing these like heists, but those things are more of like backdrops like to the story of these characters as opposed to the movie being about the heists themselves. Oh no, yeah, they are a they are bank robbers by trade and they are like it, they make no bones about it, right? And specifically like this group of guys, it's kind of like in almost written in their DNA to 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 be these kind of like these kind of criminals. Um and yeah, so that that's what makes it different from other heist movies, like you said. Um, 
yeah i think it's really interesting man like i guess yeah my experience with this movie i started i think i I can't even remember when i watched it i definitely didn't watch it in the movie theaters because i wasn't really going much to the movies outside of like stuff that i was super juiced for um usually i was catching things in redbox like 2008 to 2014 was like prime red box years for me where i was just like why would i even pay to go watch a movie in a movie theater when i could just pay a dollar watch it and then return it like yeah this was yeah. like i watched this i'm pretty sure when i was still subscribing to netflix when they would send you dvds on your queue yeah <laughs> like that's, that's how that's how long ago it was since i've seen this like it's freaking wild and uh yeah that's when i watched it and right off the bat this is what kind of made me love like heist movies um this type of heist movies like this gritty type of um action and that's the thing it's not like super action packed outside of like the actual heist right it's uh like you were saying earlier it's very much getting into like the minds of these guys understanding their day-to-day lives what they get into um yeah the 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 heists that they do pull off are almost inconsequential until the last one um because it's like those are such small takes compared to what we saw last week where it was this big grandiose showy thing to take something like what 150 million dollars like it looks like these mm-hmm. guys are lucky to like make it out with a hundred grand each <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it's completely different types of scales um and i don't mean inconsequential no because obviously like the stuff that happens as a you know to them is a, as a result to their heists but it's like but yeah the focus is more like on their inter personal relationships and that kind of how those like play into the heist they try to pull off uh but yeah this movie was based on the novel uh written by chuck hogan called prince of thieves uh very um and but yeah the story's essentially the same the idea is just following a group of um yeah bank robbers from charlestown down in boston there are some similarities i will talk about a little bit ending the differences between the ending of prince of thieves and the town and how i would have preferred the book's ending as opposed to the movie ending but yeah we'll get into that so ready to jump into it sure all right so our movie starts with a heist obviously and it's it's a group of guys that are robbing a bank and again, this is, yeah, sure, you can say Michael Mann, but because it's two years after Dark Knight, it just, it feels Dark Knight. And everything is like bluish hue around it. And the fact that these guys are wearing masks, like these Halloween costumes, you know, it is, it is. Again, Except it's a lot less stupid than the heist from the Dark Knight. Sure. That's uh, under, understood. Real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt because I did want to talk about the opening crawl real quick. So the film does open up with two text boxes before we go into the heist. One of them tells you kind of what Charlestown is, and that's a neighborhood um, in Boston, also referred to as the town. And essentially the idea is that, yeah, being a criminal is almost looked upon as a trade. If your father was a criminal, chances are you're going to be a criminal in that type of neighborhood. Uh, The idea is that it's like blue collar crime um, neighborhood. And then it takes us to another 
uh, crawl, which I also found very interesting about a, a, a native to the town saying that, um, you know, he loves Charlestown. Uh, it's the most miserable, pl- miserable place he's ever been. And it's probably going to end and he's probably going to end up dying there or something like that. Um, but it just kind of shows you like the idea that the town is like you have this love hate relationship with the town where it's like it's the only thing you've ever known. But it's also like the source of your misery. And that's kind of like where all these characters kind of interact. Yeah. I mean, it feels like all of these guys are either going to grow up to become criminals or like work in some sort of gravel construction. <laughs> like it, it's just it, it's it, and and I think specifically Ben Affleck, like if you go back to even something like Goodwill Hunting, like I feel like Ben Affleck, Matt Damon and those guys, they're really good at capturing like the world that these guys come from. They they do blue collar Boston very well. Like mm-hmm. it's really it's really interesting how they do it, almost to the point where it makes you do want to visit. If it wasn't for like the rampant casual racism in that town, from what I've been told. <laughs> sure. Well, funny enough, I actually do have like a fair number of like family members, like that, like or my dad's cousins that live in Boston. It's just well, that's what's wild. There's a big like like there's a big like. it's a a city it's a it's it's a diverse city despite the fact that it is a rampantly racist town well it is a a big city outside of boston proper for sure it's probably a lot worse but yeah it surprisingly has like a big latino community between Mm -hmm. like the dominicans or uh, puerto ricans and central americans yep uh but yeah like you were saying so the the movie starts with a heist um with uh doug mccray played by uh ben affleck uh james coughlin played by jeremy renner or jim or jim as they uh, call him for most of the movie and then the other two guys i hate doing this they're kind of consequential <laughs> mm-hmm. there's albert mcglone or as they call him glonesy and then desmond des eldon so that's like are the four main uh crew or the four main uh people in this crew mm-hmm. Um, so they have this entire heist planned out to the T where they know that the um, that the vault security lock uh, opens at 815 or something like that. So they have to get it right on the dot. They immediately come in. They start smashing people's um, people's blackberries they make a really big <laughs> they make it a point to grab people's blackberries. <laughs> definitely dating this movie but it's like everyone has a role one dude's on crowd control one dude's on destroying like uh on destroying the uh what's it called the um all the phones uh one dude is uh making sure that they can actually open the uh open the vault and another one is uh, essentially grabbing all the all the money from the cash drawers and getting rid of any of the ink packets and any of the trace bills um you know the assistant manager of the bank uh claire kesey she's been kind of tasked by ben affleck to open the or by um doug to open the open the vault while she's panicking jem kind of like threatens her uh doug calms her down she manages to open it from there uh one of the bank robbers ends up grabbing all the hard drives for the um 
They grab all the hard drives for the security system. They go down, they microwave them. <laughs> they go and like pretty much empty it out or empty out everything. Um, and, you know, they, they make off with a couple of duffel bags of cash. And the guys end up actually actually taking Claire as a hostage after it's revealed that I think Claire herself was the one that tripped the silent alarm. So knowing that the cops were on the way, uh, they end up taking her hostage. Uh, Jim, in like a fit of rage, ends up beating the uh, bank manager. Uh, yeah, Jim is, and this is again, this is if you're following the template, like of Heat, Dark Knight, like. In Heat, there's a character called Wayne Grow, who's kind of the cowboy that like ends up oh, Kilmer, right? being the hothead. No, 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 no. It's another character. Shit, uh, I need to rewatch Heat. Who is the kind of like crazy hothead character that that ends up you know putting everyone else in danger by by his antics like during a heist. And then in Dark Knight, obviously, it's the Joker. And the only the in the way that Dark Knight changes it, it turns it into like that is the main villain. And that's kind of what this movie does too. Because Jim is essentially like the main antagonist uh, in this after a while, despite the fact that he and Doug are best friends. Um, whereas in Heat, Wayne Grow is it's much more of a bit character. Yeah, so they end up taking um, they end up taking Claire. They uh, end up going into somebody like one of the one of the guys uh, is able to get a van, and uh, they end up driving away before the police show up. And after driving through the town, uh, they end up leaving Claire down at the kind of down near the beach. And then they end up driving her away, leaving there where she eventually gets picked up by the FBI. She gets interviewed and that's where we get introduced to John Hamm, uh, who is essentially our, I guess, Al Pacino, if we're sticking with the (laughs) with the heat. Yeah, yeah. With the heat reference, um, I forgot what the name of the other guy he works with, um, but that pretty much is his second in command on the investigation. And r- immediately, as they're trying to figure things out, they get a call that one of the vans have been torched. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason why I like went kind of in depth into the bank robbery scene is because I what I do like about it is how efficient these guys are. And they do go out of their way to really show that, one, they've done this before. Two, they look like, even though they look like your average Joes, it's like, oh, no, they they actually know what they're doing. They're pretty professional, except for Jim, for the most part. Um, And everyone has a role. And this scene really does show that everyone kind of like, everyone has a job to do, and they're pretty good at sticking to it, for the most part. Um. And this is kind of where we find out how how this kind of stick up crew um, does jobs for a local uh, a local gangster, um, and here is where uh, the gang uh, pretty much the gang finds out that Claire lives in the town, which complicates things. Seeing as how um, unknown to the gang members, uh, Claire saw Jem's tattoo of a fighting Irishman. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that kind of it, it makes the it puts the worry that she could identify any anyone from from the heist. Uh, while Jem wants to go and intimidate the girl, uh, Doug kind of placates his fears and tells him that he'll be he'll be in charge of her. 
uh, keep an eye on her and make sure she doesn't talk to the cops. Uh, because right away, Jem is just like, oh, yeah, what if we just kill her? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Not necessarily kill her, but at least like frighten her uh, and try to intimidate her. And the important part about that is that Doug tells him that he's got priors and pretty much everyone, we find out that all these guys have kind of a, they kind of have a record. So if anyone does go down for anything, it's, we're talking pretty big boy time at that point. Mm-hmm. So he ends up following her. And I think, um, I think that's where he ends up in, or where Doug encounters Claire at the laundromat and from there he kind of like casually hits on her and from there they kind of start dating um but Doug gets a little Doug worried what the gang would do if they found out kind of keeps it under wraps right I think it starts off as him trying to kind of see what she knows about like the crime that they committed and it turns into some classic thing about them, like kind of getting closer as it goes on. I think the one thing that we actually haven't mentioned in this, and I think it's worth bringing up, is that this is, I think, the sec- only the second or third time that Ben Affleck steps uh, behind the camera as well as a director. Uh, I know that his, his like directorial debut was Gone, da- Gone Baby Gone, and I don't think he's in that one. I think that might be one of the movies that he directed that he wasn't in, right? I think Gone Baby I, Gone Casey was, was his brother. Star yeah. yeah. So, um, Casey was in it. So, it's like this is this was this like period of time where I think part of what made it such a big deal was not just that he was, you know, starring in this, but that he was, you know, this was him further doing his directorial stuff. And, and it was his, his movies that he's directed have been met with like pretty good acclaim and praise. To the point where, like, you know, by the time he gets to something like Argo, it's a very anticipated movie. And for a guy like me, who was a DC, like, you know, movie fan, when I found out that there was a chance that he would be starring and directing a Batman movie, I thought that would be, like, the only natural, like, you know, step forward from Chris Nolan's Batman. But, uh, (laughs) again, it's just, I think what's interesting about a guy like Ben Affleck is if you go and watch the screenplay that he and Matt Damon wrote, uh, you know, together, which is like the, which uh, is Goodwill Hunting, which I think is probably, you know, his, his and Matt Damon's like best work together. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then seeing the kind of directorial stuff that he does like later in the aughts. uh, Yeah. He's a very talented guy. And uh, even though like, (laughs) <laughs> even though I'm more used to him being the scumbag friend from Goodwill Hunting as opposed to being like the likable like protagonist it, like you know I feel like in this they, they try so hard to make him like you know <laughs> they, they try so hard to make him like you know somebody that you like mm-hmm. whereas like you know I, I, I don't know it just feels a little he just naturally has like douchebag charisma yeah there's something <laughs> scummy about him and that's what makes him so great. We should have more scummy heroes in my book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like as as Doug and Claire continue their relationship, he he pretty much pumps her for information before he starts pumping her. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey oh, high God. five. That was good. Good, Ugh. good setup, Bobby. Please don't. You're the king of comedy, Bobby. <laughs> 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 so, um. Yeah, he's like pumping her for information so that way he can find out exactly what the FBI knows. 
Uh, that's where she reveals that she saw Jem's tattoo. Uh, Jem ends up uh, completely by happenstance running into Doug and Claire on a date. And I love that scene. It's so tense, even though it's like pretty low stakes, right? But they do this really good job of like, you know, Doug's trying to get Jem to leave. Um, Jem's being just like the asshole friend. And then he's like, who are you here with? And, you know, the camera cuts to Claire coming out of um, coming out of the out of the store. But what they do is like the way they shoot her is completely like no sound, nothing like not even any ambient or street sound. And it's just like, I don't know, I thought it was really cool because it really like kind of cements that you're it really kind of uh cements the 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 drama of the scene of it being like oh crap jem found out <laughs> and mm-hmm. now jem knows they're together um so doug knowing that jem can't um uh that jem can't or if jem gets his way he would pretty much kill uh claire so he tries to like dissuade uh he tries to dissuade claire from continuing to work with the fbi by telling her how they would put her in witness protection if she were to talk and then she would have to move and change it and how Mm -hmm. it would be just like really inconvenient for her life and how she would have to leave home um and then i think i think i might have gotten some scenes mixed up but i did want to talk about the the total bro scene between um doug and uh doug and jim Oh, you mean when like Doug wants out and like you know, like after Jim has practically discovered who the girl is that he's uh, spending his time with? And no, they had no, that no. scene against the fence, or are you? No, are we, not okay. yet. That and that happens later on because that involves Jim's <laughs> sister too. No, I mean the scene where they commit a borderline hate crime. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so when Doug finds out that Jim, uh, or I'm sorry, that uh, Claire had been be- getting harassed by uh, by some of the, oh, uh, that's right, yeah, by some of the kids like down the street, uh, some local gangbangers. He goes and he gets uh, Jim, and then they, there's that scene that. Anyone that everyone always sends their bro, where he's just like, "Look, we we gotta go. We're gonna hurt some people. You can't ask me why we're doing it, and then we can never talk about it after." And then he's just like, "Well, whose car are we taking?" <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's that's a total bromant." And then when I was like, as I grew up, I'm like, "Oh no way! You want your friend to talk you down from stu- doing stupid shit?" <laughs> but yeah, they end up going into. They end up going to the housing project, finding the guys that were harassing Claire. They can they proceed to beat the shit out of them, <laughs> breaking one of the dude's legs. And then um Jem ends up shooting one of the guys and the other or one of the other guys. And essentially yeah, complete, um, complete sociopath. Complete because no one asked him, no one told him to do it. He was just asking Doug, why are why are we doing this? And then Doug just kind of like would brush him off. So Jem asked the guy, hey, buddy, what'd you do to piss off my brother? Like, And when the guy just admitted to not knowing, completely understandable since guys, two guys in hockey masks pull up to beat the shit out of him, he ends up getting shot for it. <laughs> I was just like, in that moment, I was just like, God, dude, Jem is such a sociopath. Oh, man. 
but then that yeah that takes us to uh fbi uh agent handsome it, i'm just kidding it's agent uh frawley but I mean, old he is Hamm. a very handsome man john john ham is one of the most beautiful men on earth his hatchet jaw can cut down it <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know he's playing our main fbi guy i don't even know i don't even know who to call protagonist and antagonist anymore i guess he's technically the antagonist even though he's not a bad guy so he's him and uh him and his number two his lieutenant they just the guy from boston pd um essentially start uh, running their investigation uh they are able to connect uh doug's gang to a local mobster by the name of fergie Colm, uh who's the florist mm-hmm. and um this is and we find out and like i was saying this is where we find out that uh fergie's the one that kind of gives the boys the he gives them the the he gives them the jobs they go they pull it off and then to clean the money they go to strip clubs casinos there's no actual like money launderer so they had to launder it themselves um by doing you know going doing dumb shit mm-hmm. um and i think no this isn't where um this isn't where uh doug um wants out yet right it's kind of around here i mean i feel honestly i feel like it happens pretty quickly like it almost feels like they flip a switch and all of a sudden he's like you know well by the second by the second robbery he wants out oh yeah for sure are we talking about the nun robbery yeah yeah so like (laughs) the nun robbery so okay i texted you when i was watching it because i can never (laughs) look at these nun masks and not think about that stupid ass i don't know if it was like a vine video or some sort of short of like a guy wearing that mask and his buddy like sticks a giant like tree finger in his mouth (laughs) (laughs) gag super hard And that once you said that, all I can think of is what if one of the security guards did that to one of the guys? Oh, no. Hey, put your gun down. It's so terrible. But right before the nun, uh, the nun robbery, Doug goes to see his dad in jail. We find out that his dad... Uh, was also a bank robber just like him. His dad actually uh, executed uh, two armed um, armored truck dudes, which then changed company policy and was like a big deal in the 70s. And now he's serving something like five life sentences. But essentially, he tells his dad that he wants to he wants out of the game and he wants to move to Florida, which I don't understand why everyone wants to move to Florida. Why does it like what is it about Florida? Like, I feel like it would be, like, also, like... It's if low you're... taxes, it's lawless, and uh, <laughs> the weather's as nice as California, and the taxes are lower. But if you're a bank robber, and you're leaving the, like, if you're trying to leave where you're at, like, leave the country. Don't just go to, Flo- like, you're still in the U.S. They can extradite you. I think specifically his, like, he kind of has an emotional connection, right? I think he he had this like 
thought in his head that his mother had like run away to Florida because that was what his father told him. Oh yeah, and, there's and that super uh, then sad we get story. like that this bizarre subplot where like Chris Cooper like takes has to take a break from uh, becoming guy that we never remember was uh, Norman Osborn in the Amazing Spider-Man movies <laughs> and like and plays like you know plays uh, Ben Affleck's dad who is a career criminal who's basically the guy that you know passed passed the life of crime on to his son mm-hmm. and uh, you know they get the scene where he ends up in jail maybe this is the turning point to where he wants to become completely benevolent after this Mm-hmm. I don't know. <clears throat> I feel like it's a combination of like the mother subplot and then the stuff that happens with Claire. But oh yeah, that, but his father a... basically tells him that you know that his mother was uh, you know just ran away. There's nothing special about her, and uh, you know to make you not feel so sad about it, I kind of made up this story about her being out there. So mm-hmm. like I feel like obviously he knows that he's not going to find his mother out in the world. Florida just means like escaping everything that he's known and like kind of running away yeah because we didn't even talk about how he was you know bone zoning jim's sister but not like in a relationship and then she has a kid yeah. and this it, this movie does not do right by blake lively's character no <laughs> i mean granted no one i don't think anyone comes out smelling like roses from this no. movie but blake lively of all kind of like gets it the worst in my right. opinion. she's an oxycodone like she's like hooked on coke and oxy and like yeah they really make her out to be like a bad mom like and i'm just like wow freaking gossip girl because i think <laughs> what gossip girl was the biggest thing she'd done up to this point for sure i mean she was in she was in a couple movies by now but but yeah i think at this time i think the only movie that she had done at this by this point was disturbia that movie with shia labeouf is it the one where she's almost never wearing clothes and is just <laughs> probably <laughs> oh my god that's the movie <laughs> we should do for the podcast just a movie about creepy weirdos that you know voyeurize all their neighbors. Well, you know, we could always pair it with Rear Window, the movie that it's supposed to be like a modern retelling of. Yeah, uh, that's what I was thinking of. But yeah, right. that's a anyway. So that all this takes us to the nun robbery, which Angel loves so much. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, the plan is that they're going to this time they're robbing from an armored truck. Um, Doug has his reservations robbing this truck because he says that one of the drivers is a younger dude, um, as they refer to him, a G.I. Joe type of motherfucker. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the idea is that they would rather get drivers that are older, less likely to put up a fight. And that are not so, cowboys. Yeah. So they end up pulling up in a minivan dressed as nuns as they drive through the city. You have that really cool slow-mo shot of the kid seeing them dressed up as nuns as they drive to the the heist, um, kind of knowing what was going down. And immediately they go in, uh, smash smash one dude in the face, hit another guy, (laughs) and immediately start loading duffel bags with money. Um, they're assuming that the driver is going to stay in the truck as per company protocol, but he ends up getting out of the car and it looks like he takes Doug hostage. Um, and as he threatens to shoot Doug, Jem ends up shooting the guy in the chest. Um, no, it, it appears that he doesn't kill him. 
but they that ends up giving them their uh their opening to kind of load up the van as they start driving away the calls made out that they've robbed the armored truck which takes us through a car chase through uh the north end of boston and these really like tight narrow one-way streets that are just so anxiety inducing (laughs) as the driver ends up taking them like you know and he starts like whipping the freaking family van all over the place he ends up leaving these cops on a uh on a wild chase where they end up getting blocked off by a jeep uh which turns out to be their switch car as they get out of the van um gem uh ends up laying down like covering fire while everyone else loads uh loads up the other car they end up sending fire to the van blocking off the road uh not letting the cops continue to chase them and they manage to get over into the town before uh, Boston Transportation is able to uh, raise the uh, raise the bridge um, to John Ham's well <laughs> to Ancient Adam Frawley's uh, um, orders. Uh, they manage. You know, to get- this is the one scene of the movie that I completely misremembered because I swear I remember th- there being like some harrowing action scene where they actually raise the bridges, and now I'm starting to think that like I'm I'm putting stuff I've seen from other movies into this, <laughs> and that it was coloring my memory. No, this movie is much more grounded than your average. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted my car driving off a bridge movie, and then they put on jetpacks and flew away. <laughs> I think I wanted a Fast and Furious movie. I was gonna say, what did you want? Did you want them to like pull the vault out using the minivan? <laughs> uh, so as, you know, they managed to no, actually they ramp the bridge as it's going up like Dukes of Hazard. No, so they're able to get over the bridge before the bridge goes up. They stop in a random neighborhood to switch to a third car. And of course, the comedy in this scene is that as they roll up, Boston, like an older Boston police officer, is just like across the street from them. <laughs> and they have this like moment, like, what the fuck's gonna happen? And the guy just turns his head to the side like he's not seeing anything. Uh, the guys end up loading the third car. They throw a bunch of like DN, like bunch of random hair that they end up getting from a uh, from a local barbershop in the in the in the uh, backup car, and they end up driving away. So I love that scene. That entire car, from the car chase scene to everything. It's like it's it, it's probably the most action like packed um especially since it falls apart like you know it's the heist that falls apart they managed to still pull it off but i love how it's just capped off with after everything and right when you think they're about to get away with it there's the cop and he's just like i don't see shit fuck this. yeah oh man so after that um after they end up getting out of that um yeah, after they end up getting out of that uh, situation, um, John Ham 
essentially wants to rattle their cages, so he brings all of them in for interrogation. They have that scene where they have one of the guys read off random lines that one of the bank robbers said. He just starts arguing with the cop. Um, and this is where Adam or Agent Adam uh, talks to Doug, and essentially he tells him that he's going to get them. Sooner or later, they're all going to fuck up. And when he does, um, he's, you know, it's going to be Doug that's going to be begging to flip on everyone, including um, including Fergie, and that he's going to be the one to tell him to go fuck himself. Um, to which Doug responds very nonchalant, saying that next time if he was going to if he's going to be um, surveilling the guys, he's going to make sure that they're going to do something more than just a barbecue. Maybe they'll do a photo shoot. Uh, because as it turns out, anyone or everyone ever since childhood who grew up in uh, Charlestown knows what a undercover vehicle looks like. So you're left to assume that they actually knew they were getting tailed the entire time. So they were being putting on kind of a, a show for, you know, a dog and pony show for the FBI during that time. Um, later, you know, as as Doug ends up leaving, uh, or after Doug gets uh, leaves from uh, the interrogation, he goes to see Claire, and I think this is where he ends up giving her, like, a, uh, a Tiffany's necklace um when she gets contacted and pretty much he asked her to he asked her to run away with him um you know she this is where we find out that she quit her job uh, that she couldn't go back to uh being a bank manager after the robbery and that she wanted to do something to help like the community so she's been working like community gardens and stuff but yeah, yeah like, like she, she this this robbery literally gave her pst PSTD PTSD, yeah. and PTSD sorry and uh what McCray is doing is absolutely like being a piece of shit <laughs> because... there is, yeah there's there's no denying that what he's doing is bad ruining her life you could you might say and I I'm glad they address that in this film and that they don't let him off the hook for that Yes, the fact that because, they don't end in the spoiler alert, the fact that they don't end up together at the end of this movie is what makes me fine with all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the you know the entire time you're thinking, and he even does care about her, but he also understands how terrible it looks for him to be the guy that robbed her, put her life in danger, and now came back to romance her. <laughs> Like, it's the ultimate, like, gaslighting power <laughs> That's, like, some piece of shit shit. Um, but then uh, here, that's where uh, Agent Frawley fit. Uh, he um, learns about Claire quitting her job, ends up tapping her phone, and finds out about the relationship between um, her and Doug. And at that point, um, he ends up confronting her about it, Talking about how he can never arrested for um, I can't I forget what the what the charge is that freaking the freaking narcs put <laughs> I think it was something like impeding justice or accessory or something but he was essentially saying that he can have her arrested too and he ends up showing her um, uh, she ends up showing or he ends up showing her uh, Doug's 
uh, rap sheet as well as his mugshot from when he got arrested. Um, one thing I did want to mention about Doug really quick, because it does kind of play into their uh, relationship too, is the fact that he was going to be this like badass hockey like prospect who ended up getting uh, kicked out of the league or getting kicked off of his team because he kept fighting his teammates. Uh, but the reason why I brought that up is because uh, one of the places that Clara ends up volunteering at after she quits her job is the local rec center where Doug is kind of honored as like one of the best hockey players to ever come out of that ice rink, um, which is kind of what inspires her to want to do something for the community of the town, uh, which kind of, yeah, plays back. <laughs> um but yeah, she ends up confronting, uh, well, Doug ends up trying to talk to, um, ends up trying to talk to Claire, and she ends up confronting him about his part in the robbery and um, kind of everything he's been doing, and how he's been essentially manipulating her and finding out what she's been telling the feds. Um so that relationship essentially dissolves um, and she ends up breaking up with him. Um, he ends up trying, and then from here on, Doug tries to back out of the, of the, fen- the, the last heist, which is uh, essentially they're going to rob like the cash room for Fenway Park, which I, is wild to me. I didn't think that that would be a possibility that someone can try to pull off this is the second time that we reviewed a movie by the way where the climax takes place at fenway park this movie shares that distinct honor with 2019's godzilla <laughs> king of the monsters <laughs> <laughs> oh my god those are two movies that are connected that i never thought would be <laughs> the town and godzilla king of monsters that's true i hella forgot about that oh man but yeah essentially what what happens is this is the scene you were talking about where um where uh doug tries to talk to jem and tells him that he's gone like he's done he's not going to do the jobs anymore that he's going to put charlestown in his whole you know he's going to put it behind him and he's going to forget it forget about this town to which jem we find out jem uh, actually killed a guy who Doug uh, who was trying to who was trying to threaten Doug so Jem at like the age of 22 or something ends up killing this kid uh, does nine years for manslaughter and essentially like tells Doug he, owe, uh, he owes him after Doug tries to respond saying that you know, I never asked you to kill anybody. I never wanted you to kill anybody. So it's like at this point, any any um, what's it called? Any doubt that that uh, Jam was a sociopath is completely out the window. Like it's pretty obvious at this point that this guy just likes violence. Um. So from then on, he kind of forces him into the he forces him into the uh, into the last heist. So the final heist, not too complicated. The idea, the plan is that Jem and Doug are going to go in dressed as cops. They're going to um, 
dressing up as Boston PD. They're going to go into the cash room at Fenway Park and that they're going to uh, overpower the guards, uh, take as much cash as they can in duffel bags, meet up with the rest of the gang in the car, like the, the garage, the garage, the garage. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to say it in a Boston accent, but it's hard. But the pretty much the car hole. So they're going to meet up with the other guys in the car hole. And then Excellent um, Simpsons reference, by the way. There you go. And then when they get, uh, they're going to uh, escape out of Fenway Park dressed up as EMTs. Uh, it's supposed to be real quick, nice and easy. But what their, you know, intrepid bank robbers did not count on was the fact that John Hamm was going to press Blake Lively in a bar. <laughs> and we get the very, I don't even know what to call it. I don't want to say it's uncomfortable because it wasn't uncomfortable, but it is a very scummy scene where you have like Blake Lively who looks high as balls um, in this bar trying to like pick someone up. Uh, she thinks that, uh, you know, John Hamm is essentially uh, going to take her home that night to which he reveals that he's part of the FBI and that he's been investigating her brother as well as uh, the gang. And... I, and essentially like pushes her to um to give up any information she may have when what's it called when um when after she gets scared by by um uh by John Ham she ends up going to talk to Doug and she tries to tell him you know, that she'll run away with him, like, not to run away from his family. Uh, Doug responds saying, I don't even know if that's my daughter. Like, that's not my girl. Stop. Um, things get a little physical, a little confrontational, a little uncomfortable. He ends up uh, throwing uh, Blake Lively out of the hotel room. Yeah, and very essentially, uncomfortable. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, gets, it gets pretty intense. Right. I mean, again, it's just... I don't know if they, if they thought maybe at the time that they were making this movie <clears throat> that he's being like altruistic, I guess, by like trying to keep her out of his affairs. But, you know, I, I think the scene where she, you know, shortly after this, where she is thrown out of the hotel and she does get into an accident, you find out later, um, you know, for driving under the influence, uh, she's like in the hospital <clears throat> and, um, and John Hamm goes to see her and, you know, the, the line that she says where, she, you know, she says, everyone uses me is, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's definitely a heartbreaking line. And I think the fact that we don't really see what happens with her is kind of like a missed opportunity. Like you, you're like she, I feel so bad. Her name's Krista, by the way, just so we don't keep calling her Blake Lively. <laughs> but Krista's character is so heartbreaking because it's one of those things where it's like all she wants is just to be wanted. And it's, and yeah, everyone uses her. Like Doug just uses her for sex. Fucking uh, it, like Agent, um, what's his face? John Hamm just uses her for information and to get to everybody else. And like it drives her to that breaking point where she just can't, where she gets high as shit, and she's driving around with her daughter almost, and almost kills them both. Like, even though she's the only one of the group that stays in 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 the town, and you're left to like think like of her family that survives. 
she you know she's probably gonna lose her daughter to the social welfare system and she's gonna like or to the um what's it called uh to the foster system not probably it's very likely that that's what's gonna happen and it's like you know it's unfortunately again and it kind of solidifies the point of this movie is that the town people don't know better that that Mm -hmm. come from that place like we all know a place like this shit you and i can even say our hometown was kind of the at least back in the 90s and the early 2000s was that kind of town where it ruined your life but it was all you knew so it's like okay where am i supposed to go yeah it's it's one of the issues about growing up in immense poverty right is you don't see a lot of people making it out so the probability of you being able to make it out is also not very high and obviously Mm -hmm. a lot of people do it a lot of people that we've grown up around have done it but it's there's larger numbers of people that don't yeah so uh chris ends up telling uh the feds about everything going on so fbi swat essentially sets up a sets up kind of like an ambush along with boston pd to which, as they're as they're making the switch, they start realizing this. Um, when Doug looks out the window and he can see like John Ham and everyone like setting up, they notice that everything's too quiet, everything's going too quick, and that's when there's like an exchange of gunfire between uh, between some of the SWAT officers, some of the guards, and uh, our bank robbers. So after a quick firefight um some of the swan officers throw out some flashbangs uh the guys most of the guys manage to cover themselves before they go off except for the youngest of the group who thinks that it's kind of you know in in his days ends up standing up just in time for him to take a bullet to the head from one of the swan officers this ends up infuriating jem who ends up going you know firing full auto at uh the police as they try to push forward um and yeah same thing with uh with doug he starts firing out try to like uh scare off a bunch of the uh officers uh who are trying to breach into the garage at this point they um the driver tells jim and um doug that you know, he, he doesn't have priors, so he can afford to take the, you know, he can afford to get arrested um, so that uh, he's going to drive out, cause a distraction. Um, so that way they can switch back into their cop uniforms and they can just escape with the cash. The thing is, this, uh, this guy doesn't know that essentially everyone's shooting to kill. So as soon as the ambulance goes out, it gets lit up all over. Uh, he ends up getting killed while the ambulance crashes into like the mobile uh mobile response unit like van uh gem ends up you know uh gem and doug switch in their cop uniforms uh gem ends up escaping uh through kind of a crowd of other cops um doug ends up kind of hiding with the cops for a little bit to see what ends up happening my favorite part of this is as the fbi starts yelling put your guns down fbi <laughs> one of the boston police officers goes fuck you it's boston <laughs> <PD."> 
yeah this is definitely like i felt like this was a scene out of the departed almost <laughs> with like all these like agencies that like refuse to help each other out <laughs> and it's funny because this is 2010 and there's still that antagonistic relationship between feds and local law enforcement and it's like no that shit's kind of real especially if you if anyone gets involved in like the world of true crime Look up anything where a serial killer or someone crosses state lines or even county lines and you'll see how little like some uh, some police departments are willing to work with each other. Oh, I think when you and I in the early days of the show, we did Zodiac. I think it's one of the reasons why the Zodiac killer is never caught. The fact that he kills in all these different Bay Area cities, none of which like have departments that are willing to play ball with each other it's what it's what makes these things so hard to figure out and all of them within 30 miles of each other is still the crazy it's not like we're talking about any place that's like out in the sticks it's like no Vallejo to san francisco is pretty close to each other yeah but anyway um yeah jem ends up uh he ends up um escaping with the with the money he ends up drawing uh, John Hamm's attention. John Hamm follows him through uh, like a parking lot, which then leads to a gunfight between those two. Um, and John Hamm calls in reinforcements, uh, Boston PD, as well as the SWAT. Uh, SWAT Tactical ends up getting the jump on him. Uh, he has like a middle of the street shootout with some of them where he ends up getting clipped. Um, he gets behind cover, starts reloading. Uh, John Hamm gives him one final warning to, you know, put his weapons down and get out. Uh, Jem responds with one of my favorite lines in the movie, just going, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and, he completely gives himself up because he knows he's going to be assass- like murdered by these guys. Well, he even said that he would rather die than go back to prison. Yes. Um, so he even said, like, if the, if the moment comes where they're going to get pinched, he's just going to fight because he's not going back. Mm-hmm. Um, and true to his word, he get he grabs two guns and tries to start shooting at everyone. Ends up getting killed, suicide by cop. Um, and it's crazy. Like none of the there is no. And I kind of like how they handle death in this movie, where it's not like big grandiose. There's no like violence planning. It's nope. Just it's very him. matter of fact and quick. The way these things would be in real life. The most traumatic death you get is the kid in Fenway Park, like the the younger member of the gang. Mm-hmm. And that's only because it's like the way it happened. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, like Jem's death is really quick. Uh, from there, um, you know, uh, Doug sees him die, so he ends up um, escaping. He goes to the uh he goes to the flower shop to confront fergie Mm -hmm. uh where he ends up killing the he kills fergie's guard and then guns down um fergie not just for to kind of earn his freedom but kind of as revenge for his father because it's heavily implied that fergie was the one that got doug's mom hooked on drugs yeah fergie pretty much tells him as such so the idea is that they threaten him to join the heist by saying, hey, you know, I'll kill your girlfriend. Oh, hey, but also did this to your mother, mm-hmm. you know, like in this really scummy way that he says it. 
to which um, Doug ends up gunning him down and kind of as a final fuck you ends up shooting him in the balls. Um, yes. Kind of as a as a response to Fergie saying that he chemically clip his nuts earlier. Yeah, that he clipped uh, Doug's dad's nuts. Uh, he ends up recovering all I'll the money. Clip from... your nuts. I'll clip yours. <laughs> oh, oh wait, no, you gotta say it right. I'm gonna clip your nuts. I don't know. I don't know what that was. I can't. That's why I'm not a voice actor. No one's making you do this. And I'm you, doing it for myself. You do it to yourself. Shut up. I at least I put myself out there. You shit. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up taking all the money from Fergie uh, from Fergie's floor shop and he tries to call Claire in a way to um, kind of like as a final like hey you know like I don't know if the intent was to still get her to go to Florida with him uh, but essentially he's like set up across the street from her so he can see that she's surrounded by cops and that her phone is super tapped <laughs> Yeah. So he asks her, uh, or she asks him to come over. Uh, to which he asks, "Is hey, are you alone?" She says, "Yes," knowing completely it's a lie. Um, and you have this moment where he's like, "Oh well, she betrayed me too, even though I was manipulating and using her." <laughs> but she ends up um, using a code word, saying that she hopes she gets to see Doug again. It'll be like one of her sunny days. Uh, which earlier in the film, uh, Claire mentioned that she associates sunny days with bad things because that her brother died of leukemia on a sunny day, mm-hmm. uh, which ends up telling Doug not essentially the it's the code that the feds are there avoid going to her place. Right, and this and this is like last scene between them is also very much something out of heat if you watch that movie. So. Um, Doug manages to escape Boston. Um, F, uh, John Hamm essentially realizes that Ben Affle- or that Doug isn't coming. <laughs> um, and he f- essentially finishes by th- kind of threatening Claire by saying that we're a national organization that will find him. Um, and he, you know, the one of the last things Doug does before he leaves Boston is he goes to the to the community garden and leaves a duffel bag for uh, Claire. But when she ends up going back and going back to the garden, she ends up finding it along with a note written by Doug uh, with an orange. Um, and in that note, Doug tells her over voiceover that, you know, she she deserves this money. She'll know what to do with it. Uh, and that, you know, essentially that he's apologizing for everything that she, he put her through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Florida is going to be kind of a second chance for him, and that he hopes that he gets to see her again, either in this life or the next. Right. And she knows exactly where he is because he mm-hmm. mentions a place called Tangerine, Florida, and he leaves a tangerine orange inside the bag. And she ends up using the money to um, donate it essentially to the community center that Doug grew up like playing hockey in. Mm-hmm. Names and it after his mother. Names it after his mother. And then the final shot of the film is uh, Doug fully bearded uh, watching the sunset over the Florida Everglades. And that is the town. So, 
before we get into the end, or before we get into whether we liked it or not, the biggest difference that I kind of wish they kept from the book to this, like this movie ends on a very hopeful note um, that Doug kind of like learns from the from everything he went through and what he put people through mm-hmm. and that maybe there is like a redemption for him uh, what's it called um, Prince of Thieves and Super Dark <laughs> where the day Doug is supposed to escape to Florida mm-hmm. the cousin of the kid they him and Jem jumped in like the beginning of the movie ends up gunning him down in the street and like robbing him Okay, and like the murder's never solved and it's just like it ends with him kind of like like taking inventory of his life as he's dying in the street like okay. it's poetic justice and it's right. very nihilistic and it's much darker and I kind of would have preferred that ending honestly <laughs> yeah I might I might have actually preferred that but what I do kind of like about this is it is a queen ending it mm-hmm. does. It, it it separates the two characters that you really don't want together, and it allows like you know a little bit of catharsis for everyone, mm-hmm. and uh, I appreciate that. Um, I guess Javi, did you like the town? I did like it. I really, I very much enjoyed it. It was one of those movies that had quite a few vibes to it like it had that weird kind of small town blue collar like guys that grew up together vibe obviously because you know that, that's kind of the crew we're, we're following i feel like as far as um as far as it being like ben affleck's like like how far he's come as a filmmaker it's funny because it's it's a good movie and it's one of my favorite movies but I think he's made much better movies since he's made the town. Agreed. He's made a better movie before this and he's made better since. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, even though, like, even though it's, it's, it's on the weaker end as far as, like, some of the stuff he's already, like, directed, it's still a really strong movie. I feel like there are some great performances from everyone involved. Um, I feel like it is, it very much draws, and I hate saying this because I did... I was giving you shit about oh. it earlier, but you are very, I mean, you're right. In a lot of ways, this movie is very derivative of other things mm-hmm. that there that's been done. Like, yeah, you can't look at this movie without thinking about heat. Um, because I mean, that's the movie that draws, mo- draws it most. Right. But I think like Ben Affleck did a really good job of fleshing out like the world. These guys live in the, the, the town, the actual town. Um, and he had a way of making it feel so lived in that especially that first like third of the movie you just feel like one of the guys for the most part <laughs> you're just right. like kind of really buying into how these how much these guys like care about each other until you know the finally the shoe drops going into that second heist and then you start realizing that you know what exactly everyone's kind of in it for themselves so it was interesting. I liked it though, and I do recommend uh, people at least check it out once. Yeah, I definitely thought it was an okay movie. There was nothing about it that I disliked, and there was nothing about it that I over that I thought was overly fantastic. Uh, it's definitely a good movie while you're watching it and interesting. Uh, but I'm not sure how often I'd go back to something like this. And again, the last time I saw this was 12 years ago. So 
who knows when I would. I'm not sure when I'd repeat this one again, but it's not a bad movie. It's pretty good. And I think both of us have kind of echoed the same thing. Uh, ben Affleck has done better before and since. There's movies that kind of cover the same ground that might be better. Uh, but I don't regret the fact that I watched it for this episode. So um, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, please yeah. continue to intera- interact with us on social media. Please uh, leave us reviews on iTunes if you can. Uh, that helps you know, raise awareness for the show. And uh, yeah, we just appreciate you guys uh, continuing to roll with us as we're doing the best that we can to try to keep a regular output uh, going. So we're definitely going to do one more heist movie before we exit the world of heist movies. And uh, we'll announce on the Instagram page what that's going to be. Quick, everyone, get your votes in. Vote for Ant Man. <laughs> <laughs> or we should do Endgame again just because of the time heist. God, no. <laughs> I hope you're ready for the three hours of Marvel, baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, we really appreciate you guys uh, joining us for the show. And, uh, you know, hey, I'd like to thank Javi for picking this movie for us to watch because. I think if you hadn't have suggested us watching it for the show, I probably wouldn't have come back to this one. I know. I almost had to force you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yep. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you later.